0: Half the Battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. We're going to be recapping the very epic UFC 204, Bisping vs. Henderson 2. And joining me to recap UFC 204 is Scotland's finest, Will Martin. Will, welcome back to Half the Battle, man.
1: Always a pleasure to be on your show, Dan. Uh, you know I'm one of your biggest fans, I've been for a while. And we're going to be breaking a uh, recapping, sorry, uh, 204, which is the great event of the weekend.
0: Oh, man, it's great to have you back on. And, you know, it's cool because you were actually in attendance... At UFC 204, you made the trip to Manchester from Scotland. Uh, first of all, I mean, what was it like? We're going to talk about, you know, the time uh, scheduling later, you know, how they started the fights at 4 a.m., but I just want to know, what was a uh, Fight Week like for you, man?
1: Well, this this time, so I've been going to events for a long time, because this, this year, I thought, right, when I'm going to do fight cards, I'm going to do it a little bit different. Obviously, in Vegas, we went out there, I used that as a holiday. For uh, this one here in Manchester, I thought, right, I'm going to get down there on Wednesday, and I'm going to go through... Everything that UFC Fight Week internationally in Europe has to offer, from the open workouts to kind of fan events and stuff, and overall it was just a really good week, meeting up with some friends, meeting up with some people I haven't seen in a long time, and just, it's literally just a buzz around the city talking about fights. It was a little bit slow starting, but eventually once it hit Friday into Saturday, there was a real buzz come midday on Saturday, and it was just fight bands everywhere in manchester and it was really good to see a lot of people time out for the event
0: that's good to hear man obviously you mentioned you know you met up with some friends and shout out to our buddies uh john and mike from john and mike's oh. mma corner two badasses and i'm sure they had a blast too but dude i mean that main event between michael bisming and dan henderson unbelievable you know going into it i thought for sure listen michael bisming's in his prime right now he's coming off the confidence of beating Anderson Silva, knocking out Luke Rockhold. And Dan Hendo, you know, in his last seven fights, uh, you know, he's had great fights, but, w- you know, I thought he was at the tail end just in the sense that, you know, he was getting dropped in a lot of those fights. He was getting stopped for, you know, the first times in his career. I thought, you know, uh, Bisbing is going to finish it. And, man, was I wrong because uh, Dan Henderson comes out there looking better than he has in his last seven fights combined, and uh, he almost knocked out Bisbing twice in that fight. Uh, you know, in that first round when he dropped him with the H-bomb, I was like, wow, that's all she wrote. And then he went to do the flying follow-up, and he actually missed. <laughs> you know, he, uh, there's a funny picture, uh, Esther Lynn posted it, of uh, Dan Henderson punching the canvas with the follow-up shot. And, man, uh, I feel bad for the canvas. You know what I mean, Will?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, that was exactly the same. I, I thought coming into the fight, I thought the just best meant in those seven, eight years, or however long it was since the last four, um, it's just progressed so much as a fighter. And he's, he really seems to be putting everything together. But sometimes just fighters have your number. And that was the one thing I thought all week when I was there. Um, just seeing how calm, calm Dan was. And even when he went in there, you could see, even though he knew it was his last hurrah, that he was going to really give it everything. And, I mean, that uh, that first round, I was losing it because it was, I think it was 5.15am in the morning. It was, um, people were starting to run down. There was a lot of alcohol flowing. But once that main event hit, um, and once it started, people really get into it. Manchester um, got behind Michael Bispin big. Um, I didn't like the booing of Dan Henderson, but he is enemy in enemy territory, so uh, it was expected. But, uh, I mean, that first round was crazy. And he, when when he went down, I thought, that is it. And then I seen him dive in, like you were just explaining there, and I thought, if he hits this, um, it's over. And you can actually hear him hitting the canvas as loud as it was with all the... Kinda, of, it it went. It was weird. It went quiet. Then it went loud when he started moving because he knew he wasn't out. But then you heard him hit the canvas straight after. Um, and bisbin all all fairness to him, got back to his feet and got through the adversity of that round and uh, came out for round number two.
0: Man, Bisbing's such a champ, dude. Because you know. Obviously, one of his eyes got pretty much closed from the damage that Hendo was doing. And what a lot of people don't know is that his other eye was already messed up. He had a scratched cornea from the Tim Kennedy fight. So he already can't see out of, his, out of one of his eyes. And then his other eye gets closed by Dan Henderson in the fight. So that, to me, just shows you the kind of heart that Michael Bisping has as a champion to carry through that, you know. And... uh I'm not sure if you went back and rewatched it, but since I was at home watching it, in between, you know, in the corner, Jason Perillo was like, you all right? And he's like, I'm all good, man. So, you know, Michael Bisping, they were talking about on the broadcast how... You know, his resting heart rate is just something absolutely ridiculous where, like, it's like his heart, you know, it, it's like no big deal. He can run a couple miles and it's like us being fresh. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how ridiculous Michael Bisping is. So, man, what do you think about him being able to overcome that adversity? We'll talk about the second knockdown in a second, but overcoming the first one where it looked like that's the end of the fight.
1: I thought he was out. I, honestly, when he, when he threw that H-bomb and he hit him, I th- honestly thought he was out and I was jumping around because... Uh, I've never claimed to be the biggest Michael Bisbon fan, but um, Dan Henderson, no matter who you picked through that week, you knew, when I met Dan Henderson through the week, I literally was starstruck being a fan of the sport. And it, you kind of internally rooted for him to come out and finish his career with a huge win, get that UFC belt, which he never got. Um, but I mean, the adversity that Bisbin showed um, was huge. I think the cut underneath his eye was what, a, a big elbow possibly that he threw it and it it looked bad at the end of the round but coming through i was really surprised honestly that he he came through that round but as you see bispin's got a lot of talent and a lot of heart i think he showed his heart in this one a lot more than he has in the past and uh, it was just a great start to the main event it really was
0: man you know it's funny because in two of his last three fights he's been almost knocked out and had to come back you know the anderson solo fight with the knee were you there for that one man
1: I wasn't in London for that one. I'm not the biggest fan of London. I love going to events, but London is just a big old place. Not too many people for a little country boy like me. So I always leave out London. I was there a couple of years ago, but London's not, not really um, one I go to too often.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, you and uh, John and Mike were saying, man. It's interesting. You know, it's been years since I've been there, but I would probably feel the same way. And for me, you know. It's funny because I've been to London more recently than I've been to Edinburgh, but I remember Edinburgh a lot better because, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in my life. But back on this, man, I mean, Michael Bisbing, so, okay, he gets past the first knockdown, then the second round starts, and it looks like, hey, he's finding his rhythm now, and then he hurts uh, Dan Henderson. You know, some say it was a body shot, some say it was a low blow, but bottom line, Dan Hendo was backing up, Bisbing was looking for the finish, he starts teeing off, and, man, you know, it's funny, two seconds before he got knocked down, I scream at my TV hands up Bisbin and then out of nowhere boom the right hand floored him again I was like oh my god but once again he survived man so tell me what was it like in the arena when he got knocked down that second time by the H-bomb
1: so in, in the round one finished we went into round two and Bisbon really came out and he was throwing so he was putting everything together he was using that kind of switch kick that he was throwing he was throwing it to the body he was going high with it mixing it up really nice in the feet and um from where I was sitting, I'd never really seen the shot, um, which looked a little low, but it, it was kind of hard to tell in the arena. Uh, and John, who was beside me, he was, he was saying the exact same thing as you were. He's coming in with his hands low. And then just as soon as he said that, Bisping got clocked. He went down again. And I thought, uh, literally, he just went dead silent once again. And we thought, is he going to get through this? But he kept on moving. Um, and he just didn't, he didn't really... Um, let Hendel kind of really get anything more off of him and just kind of survive to the end of that round. But I thought it was a, even the knockdown being so late in that round, I still thought it was a Michael Bisping round. I thought he's cleaner, uh, cleaner techniques, cleaner strikes came through and he just, he won that round. But it was close towards him, but it was serious heart. The guy's got a, a real serious heart in him and uh, just never gives up.
0: Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's the one thing that we can applaud him for is that this guy has been through every setback imaginable, and he still said, look, I want to be the world champion. He put his head down, he grinded, and now he's the world champion. And it's not just the setbacks he's had in the past, it's what he's had to overcome inside the octagon. I mean, the two H-bombs in that fight, I mean, a lot of guys would have been knocked out cold, let alone if they were still awake, they would have turtled up and quit. With him, he's like, I still want to be the world champion, man. And he got back up and he kept fighting. Now, you know, with a lot of people on this uh, second round, you know, because like you said, Bisping was controlling the majority of it, but then uh, he got dropped. So it's like, what do you favor more? Do you favor winning four minutes of the round, or do you favor the heavy blows at the end that almost knocked him out? Now, uh, it's just tough to say, man. You know, I understand both ways of uh, scoring it. So for you, man, I mean, you said you scored it for Bisping, but what do you, what do you think about uh, if people would have scored that for Hendo? Would you have been too pissed off? or No, I don't
1: think – it's just the way you see the fight. I see the fight as landing more in the round. I know the Hendel landed the bigger shots, and but really once he hit that big shot, he didn't really land much after it. He, he was he was in top control a little bit, and um, he dominated and blanketed uh, blanketed uh, blanketed Bispen out. But Brisbane landed the the leg kicks. He landed the the quicker, cleaner shots, and that's just uh, when I was watching it. Then I, I was actually when I went into the early third round, I was uh, kind of thinking about the second round a little bit. And how how um because John I think had it for handle beside me and we kinda talked about it a little bit just in between rounds. And uh yeah, I I just I like the, the more technique, the more the cleaner strikes, the more strikes that he landed, um I I prefer that a little bit more than the damage, but I can totally see why people would give it for Handel um and give him that round.
0: Definitely, man. Now the third round I thought this one was a little bit more clear. I thought Bisman got back into the fight. In the third round, you know, he's controlling the pace. Maybe you can make the argument that Hendo took that round off. I mean, because look, when you almost knock someone out twice, I mean, that's expending a lot of energy. And then you consider the fact this guy is 46 years old. I mean, God bless his heart. He's such a legend of the sport. Uh, You know, it's got to take a little bit out of the gas tank. So he took that round off. Bisping came back into the fight. Then the championship rounds. That's where it was really tough for me to score. And listen, I had a big bet on Bisping going into this fight, as you know, man. And you know, at the end, I had no clue won, you know, and all my friends at home were thinking Hendo won. And, I, you know, honestly, if Hendo would have won, I would have been totally cool with that just as a fan of the sport to see a legend like that go out on top, you know. And it's interesting because no one even considers it a loss for him. Like, everyone's just like, wow. You know, it was almost like, do you remember when Chris Lytle retired? like how incredible that was, like when he uh, fought Dan Hardy and then he had the most amazing post-fight speech ever. He had his kids in there and it was just such a memorable moment. When, when Dan Hendo retired, it was kind of like that, man. I mean, it's just a legend leaving on his own terms when he was ready to step away.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, I really. I was really kind of privileged to be there and see kind of Dan Hendo fight, especially if it is going to be his last fight. I hope it is. If he doesn't go anywhere else. He maybe gets an internal job with the UFC uh, but, I mean, those kind of last three rounds, I thought three and four were pretty clear Bisbon rounds. Five, you could maybe give Henderson uh, a shout in that one. I think he got the takedown in round number five and um, threw some decent shots and just kind of... It was close. It was a very close round, but I I gave I gave two, three, <clears throat> four and five for Bisbon. Okay. And when I came home and watched it... Um, I, I kind of changed my stance a little bit and maybe gave the second round, but I would have still stuck to my guns and went 49-46 for, for Hendo. That was just in the arena when I seen it. Watching it back, possibly uh, 48-47, but I, I like the 49-46 card that I saw in there.
0: You know, it's interesting because as soon as I heard that 49-46, I was like, yep, Hendo got it, man. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the the two knockdowns in the first two rounds, and, you know, when you're watching it live, uh, all you remember is, you know, that those moments, right? So I thought for sure... Hendo got it, and then the fifth round was so close. I actually scored that one for Bisman, I'll tell you why, man. You remember, I believe it was either a flying knee or a jump, a flying kick or something like that, that he landed to Hendo's chin, and he actually rocked Hendo at the latter part of the fifth round. And even though he got taken down, I favor rocking your opponent more than uh, landing a takedown. So I actually scored that fifth round for Bisbing, and uh, I guess it came down to the middle two rounds. And so as soon as I heard the 49-46, I was like, shit, man, Hendo won this for sure. But, uh, you know, as you know, uh, Bisbing got his hand raised, and, man, you know, it, it, it's cool to see him defend his belt, man. You know, he uh, from a guy that everyone said, when, you know, he couldn't win the big fights, he'll never be the champion. Now he's got one title defense, you know on the mantle and he's the first british ufc champion defended the belt so if he wants to step away as far as i'm concerned bisman can step away on top too but we all know he's not going to do that
1: yeah i mean there was there was um throughout the week there was people talking about uh, should henderson be getting this title a title show at bisbon and they had everything really to make this fight and that's the way it really kind of should have been uh they were talking about it should have had a better contender but like Bisping said in his post-fight interview, th- this guy gave him the worst loss of his career and something that, obviously, Bisping has been thinking about since that fight. And uh, he wanted to kind of right the wrong of that fight at UFC 100 a long time ago. And uh, they, they gave us a great fight. I mean, they really gave us a great fight. But there was a few people around me as well who were betting big on Hendo. And they thought, once the fight finished as well, that uh, they they won themselves some money. But I think Hendo... I think after that, he was a little bit concerned about coming and fighting over here in Manchester, that he might not get the judges on his side. And I, I just think, I think clearly Brisbane won it, pretty clearly. But I can see why people gave rounds uh, two and five to Hendo. It was very close. But for me, it was a 49-46 pretty much the two, two or three times I've watched it back.
0: You know, it's funny, man, because whenever a lot of people bet on someone – they're very biased when they're watching the fight, you know. They automatically score it for their guy. And I'm not like that at all, man. I always assume the worst, man. I always think my guy is losing unless without a shadow of a doubt he's winning. Like, you remember uh, Jimmy Rivera versus eye Favor? I had a big bet on Jimmy. Even, you know, he, and he won every single round, clearly. After that fight was over, before the judges announced it, I was, like, asking my friends, like, are you sure we got this? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm always assuming the worst. So in this one, you know, him getting dropped twice, I was like, yeah, Hendo got that for sure, and then, uh, you know, I watched it back, and obviously I scored it for Bisping watching it again. But you brought up their first fight, and man, for everyone that watched UFC 100 live, that was the most vicious knockout in UFC history. I mean, along with uh, Terry versus Barboza, but in terms of, you know, a knockout being landed by a punch... This was the most brutal because, you know, you recall after that knockout at UFC 100, we were all like, is Bisping alive? You know, because it was one of those knockouts kind of like, I don't know if they showed this on TV, but, you know, in Atlanta, UFC 201, uh, Anthony Hamilton fought Grabowski. And, dude, Grabowski was out for like 10 minutes. Like, I don't know if they showed that on TV, but he was out cold for like 10 minutes, right? So, Bisming versus Hendo, the first time, was kind of like that as well. Like, we were all like, yo, is Bisming alive, man? And then, finally, when he got back up to his feet, it was like, okay, thank God. But, yeah, most vicious knockout in UFC history. So, to come into that fight knowing this guy knocked me out so viciously, even though it was, you know, back in, what, 2008, 2009, just... That has to play, you know, it has to have a psychological toll on you. And then I heard the interview with Bisming saying, you know, all fight week, he had jitters like never before, you know, worse than when he fought Anderson, worse than when he fought Luke the second time. It was just something about fighting the guy, knowing that this man put me out cold, viciously, in the most historic way possible. You know, there's got to, that's got to play a toll on your mind. And you could see that it did, especially early in the fight, Will. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I agree with you 100% there. It was his redemption fight that he needed to get and I was, uh, once I kind of, when I first had the matchup getting put together, I was a little bit, see, I was always planning on going to this event as soon as I heard it was going and then I heard it was Dan Henderson I was like, oh, really? So, uh, but then once you go back, you think about it, it is up there with one of the most vicious and memorable historic knockouts you will ever see in the UFC and I mean, Dan um, Henderson made a kind of money off that with his his, um, signature flying elbow and I mean, just, the kind of, what Bisbon has done this year is really it's huge it's really huge what he's done it. and its it, I don't think he's getting enough credit for it I know that Henderson wasn't a matchup people were really putting him in but he still went out there came through adversity not once but twice and came through got that decision and he, he's 2016 is the year of Michael Bisbon I don't even think anybody will come close to that and uh, beating legitimate legends Anderson Silva Dan Henderson and nobody, I mean, nobody gave Michael Bisman a shot back in June at UFC 199. And he went out there and delivered. Uh, it was just incredible. So I've never I've never claimed to be his biggest fan, but I do respect, respect him for what he's did for the UK MMA fight game, for European uh, MMA in general. And he's still doing it years after um, he's been in the UFC. And he's just progressing. And he's shown more tools, shown more of his heart, uh, his determination. And that's something... He's, he's just not willing to lose, and that's something that everybody should take in and try and put into their life, and just never give up in anything. Because that guy has never gave up in his, his shot of a uh, or his dream of being the UFC champion. Now he's got it; he doesn't want to give it up.
0: Yeah, and just to cap what you said, I mean, I don't think there's any debate that Michael Bisping is the fighter of the year for 2016 just like Robbie Lawler was last year in 2015 you gotta go with Michael bisming being the fighter of the year and it's funny uh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna vote for Hillary or Trump but one thing I do know is I'll be voting for Michael Bisming as the fighter of 2016 so uh you with me to see the fighter of the year man
1: yeah I'm with you I think I don't uh I really don't see who you could put in front of him at this point have you got any suggestions who you think you could put ahead of Michael Bisping I don't I really I don't see it he's came through that fight with uh, Anderson where not many people were giving him a shot. And then, second time around, uh, I mean, talking about the Anderson Silva fight, that guy got laid out brutally in that fight as well and still came through to win that fight. So that's two times he did that this year. He's come out and beat the champion, who maybe took him a little bit, not as serious as he should have, as he beat him pretty convincingly the first time around. But he came out and not only did he he take that belt, he took it and, dramatic fashion by knocking the champion out in the first round so i don't think you can look anywhere else than michael bisbin is your 2016 fighter of the year
0: he beat anderson silva he won the belt and he defended it i mean there's nothing else to say michael bisbing yeah. is your fighter of the year unless uh someone does something so dramatic in the next couple months but uh you know we'll, we'll be tuning in obviously but as of now michael bisbing is uh the front runner for that, uh, that award, no doubt about it. Now, the co-main event of the evening, this was, uh, you know, a passing of the guard type fight, passing of the torch, I mean, Gegard Mousasi defeated Vitor Belfort, second round TKO, and, uh, you know, I thought the fight was won within the first minute, you recall when Vitor Belfort threw that little blitz, he thought he hurt Gegard, he went to blitz him, and then Gegard was like, nope, (laughs) right then and there, I thought the fight was over, because we all know that Vitor, he's a very mental guy, you know, like, uh, if uh, he knows that he can put you away, he's got the edge. But if you stand up to him, he's kind of like a bully. If you stand up to him, you know, he's going to he's gonna start to doubt himself a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. As soon as Gegard survived the first blitz, that was uh, all she wrote, man. And then once Gegard started establishing that jab, uh, game, set, and match, man, it was so... Uh so surgical and I mean so precise it's one of those jabs that it hits you in the eye and then your eye starts watering and you're like man I don't want to take that punch anymore then you got to worry about all the other strikes he's throwing then he throws a head kick to the back of your head rocks you you start covering up and you're like man well I don't want to take him to the ground because he's going to sprawl and get on top of me and I don't want to stand up with him either but I also don't want to quit because I'm Vitor Belfort so it's like what do you do in that situation and uh you know Gegard Mousasi teed off on him firstly after he rocked him with that head kick and he started throwing those punches and bunches, man, I was like, damn, Musasi is going off, man. And uh, that was badass. And then, you know, he brought him down to the ground with a nice little throw, got on top of him, and that's all she wrote. And it looks like, you know, we talked about this on the pre-fight, man, that... When Vitor Belfort gets taken down, you know, remember when he fought John Jones and he almost armbarred him? That guy is long gone because you look at the fight with Chris Weidman, you look at the fight with Jacare, and now you look at the fight with Gegard Mousasi, you take him down. The guy's not, you know, trying to retain his guard. He's not trying to, you know, buck off and get back to his feet. He's, you know, he's like, all right, full mount me and pound me out, man. I'm done fighting. Like, so, you know, is it one of those things where, look, Vitor is a guy that fought and three different eras of the sport. He beat Tank Abbott. You know, he competed against Couture and Liddell. He competed against Rockhold and Weidman and Silva, all these fighters. He's competed in every era of the sport. Is it just a matter of the sport passing him by, or is it, you know, a mix of that? And Gegard is, uh, you know, the the real deal in 2016.
1: Both. I think Gegard's a, a fighter that a lot of people really... Some people don't know a lot about. Kind of Gegard That the hardcore fans out there know exactly who he is. Um, they know the skill set that he that he has and it's phenomenal. Uh, but Vitor Belfort, you nailed it clean on the head when you said once he put that blitz out there in Gegard and Gegard never buckled, never did anything, you could see then that he thought, right, what am I going to do now? And Gegard surgically just got himself into that fight with that jab, um, really crisp strike. And that's the one thing that I noticed that he's, he's just very patient and he will keep coming forward and... Um, He's got a great uh, shot selection and he just really put Vitor Belfort in the, back, four, uh, the, the back, um, back foot and really just kind of surgically took him out. And it was it was very impressive to see, I must admit. But, I mean, Vitor Belfort, like Dan Henderson, a legitimate legend, um, fought every decade and he's fought the best guys in and around that. Even outside the UFC, he fought good guys as well. Um, but, I mean, we, we talked on John and Mike's show last week that he's, I think he's a black belt, but like he shows really bad tendencies, he's punching off your back. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, what was up with that, man? It's
1: what, you don't, I mean, if you're a black belt, you know fine well you don't do that. Um, Jackery, he went to, he just flailed down the ground there. You don't do that with Jackery, um, so I think, I think the sport, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the last time we've seen Vitor Belfort. Maybe he gets a fight back at home in Brazil to go out and that, but uh, I think that's another legend we might see walking away from the sport. And I think it's time for him to walk away because he's just going to, the longer he sticks around, the more hurt he's going uh, to have in his future if he takes big shots, big knockout losses. It's like um, Roy Jones Jr. on the boxing side of things. When he left the sport, he should have left the sport, stayed away, and now he can't stay away. So I'm hoping Vitor is not like that. Once he's finished, he stays away and he's a legend that, that he will go down as because um, he's won titles wherever he's went. And uh, just a, a brutal, brutal fighter to watch. He was one of the he was actually the very first guy um that I ever watched. My dad had a, the UFC video where he won that heavyweight tournament and he was the first fight I seen uh I think I was ten, eleven years old. I think I was. And uh, I remember seeing seeing him for the first time and he was scary back then. Um but I hope it I hope he walks away and just kinda of beats with his family and um works out in his gym, maybe get some fighters coming through there, we might see him as a coach in the future, but uh, I hope he kind of takes a backward step, Masasi, which is too good, too uh, too clean, and just really from the outset, just kind of put his will on Vitor, and Vitor just kind of buckled and went down,
0: yeah, and obviously I wouldn't be disappointed if Vitor retired either. But if he wants to come back for one more, I would recommend that it's against another fellow aging legend. You know, someone like Rashad Evans, Shogun Machida, you know, someone like that. And whether it's at 185 or 205, that's neither here nor there. But bottom line, I think it has to be a fighter like that if he doesn't retire. You you with me on that? Or do you think he should take more of a newcomer type, type fighter? I mean, see, the thing with that is, man... You know, if he wins, obviously it looks good. But, man, he could get crushed and some dude could make their name off of him. Whereas you fight a guy like Rashad, Shogun, Machida, and, you know, no matter who wins or loses, they're both legends.
1: Exactly. Earlier on in the week, Vitor was talking about a legends division. He would he would like to buy into the UFC and have a legends division. So I think it's clear that he wants to fight legends of the sport. Your Shoguns, your Rashad, your Leoto, they are legends of the sport. They will go down as legends of the sport, previous champions. So they're the kind of fights that he probably has to have and that's the fight i think he will want if he does fight on
0: yeah no doubt about it man And you know i'm actually glad that he brought that up because you know he he really is a legend you know i mentioned how he's fought in every era of the sport but just look at his resume look at who he's fought anderson silva anthony rumble johnson luke rockhold chris weidman Jacare Musasi. i mean chuck liddell randy couture the list goes on he literally fought everyone he fought all the best fighters uh, from the time that he was in the sport to now, man. Dan Henderson. I mean, you can go on and on. So, Vitor, I mean, if he steps away, much respect. And if he comes back for one more, I'll definitely be tuning in. But as far as Musasi, man, I mean, I think he's right up there for a title shot, dude. I mean, because look, everyone's tied up in the middleweight division. You got Whitaker taking on Brunson. You got Jacare rematching Rockhold. You got Romero versus Weidman. And the one guy that doesn't have a fight is Gegard Musasi. Now, A lot of us, you know, at least I thought that Michael Bisping was going to go out there and finish Dan Henderson. It didn't go out like it didn't happen like that at all. In fact, he took a lot of damage, so now he's going to have to take some time off. I was thinking that if he didn't have to take time off, him and Musasi could, you know, settle their differences real quick. But I think Bisping might be on the shelf for a minute, and it'll let you know the middleweight tournament, as they like to say, play out between those other matchups. So, do you think Musasi is going to get the next title shot, or do you think there's going to be another fight for him uh, before that? Uh.
1: I would like to see Masasi get a shot. I think with all these guys fighting within the next what two months, some of these guys come out if they all have really tough fights, they're all going to be injured. So Masasi is probably sitting in the best position out of all those fighters because if they all something happens or something goes down, he's the next in line after those six guys without a shadow of a doubt. So I can see him taking another fight personally. I think that. I thought he was very good in the mic and he called out Anderson Silva. I thought that was very smart. Um, Anderson is the biggest name in that middleweight division, even though he hasn't got the belt. He's the, the biggest name in that um, that weight class he always has been in the UFC. But there is, a, I think, Anderson's, I can see that Anderson Silva fight being put together. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if uh, I was actually talking to people from the Netherlands, whether they put Gegard Moustache as a main event on there on the early the early 2017 schedule. And Anderson Silva v. Gegard, Musassi in Amsterdam is just a headline fight written all over it. European fans would love to see it. I think world MMA fans would love to see it. Uh, but I would, I think Musassi's put himself in the, the best position out of the probably the top seven guys um, outside, or top six guys outside Michael Bispin. I think that he's put himself right in prime spot, maybe to get a title shot in the new year. If not, he's going to get himself a big fight nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping it's the title shot. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Musasi and Anderson, they fight each other. Obviously, I'm going to watch. I mean, look, it's two legends. But I don't want to see Anderson get hurt, man. I want to see him go out there and fight someone like GSP, the fight that we've wanted to see for so long. Obviously, it's, you know, a little bit... uh too late, but at the same time, I'm still gonna be tuning in, man. I mean, two legends, and at least both of them are past their prime. Whereas, if you look at Anderson versus Musasi, Musasi is, you know, flat in his prime, whereas, you know, Anderson's a little bit past it. Not saying that Anderson can't compete because his last two fights are against the middleweight and light heavyweight champion. He went to decision in both of them, so you can never count him out, but obviously, uh, Gegard would be favored there. And, you know, like I said, I don't wanna see Anderson get hurt, so I wanna see Gegard get a title shot. Or fight one of the winners of uh, you know, this middleweight tournament, whether it's a uh, Romero Wideman, Whitaker Brunson, or jacare Rockhold, you know, one of those guys or the next title shot. And man, I really hope they make that Anderson versus G S because I mean, like like I said, man, we've been waiting years for that one. So we'll have to tune in to see what happens. But dude Man, the UK zone, the poster boy, Jimmy Manoa versus OSP. I mean, look, we've all been waiting for Jimmy Manoa to have this kind of performance. And, you know, a lot of us thought, look, maybe he came into the UFC too late. You know, he's getting up there in age. And if you watched uh, his regional scene fights, which I know you have because you're from that scene you know, a lot lot of people haven't. A lot of people have only seen his fights in the UFC, so they don't know the vicious knockouts that he's had on the UKC. And I'm talking some of the most vicious knockouts you've ever seen in your life. I mean, he sends dudes flying with one punch and they don't wake up for five to 10 minutes. And you're like, whoa, who, who the fuck is this guy, right? He comes into the UFC, he injures his first three opponents. You're like, wow, this guy's for real. Then he fought, you know, some of the upper echelon guys, Gustafsson and Rumble, which there's no shame in losing to those guys. But I think uh, on Saturday night, you really saw what Jimmy Manu was capable of. Because look, OSP is a guy that just went five rounds with John Bones Jones. OSP went the distance with Musasi. OSP is uh, one of the best fighters in that division. He's a to- he's a perennial top five guy, and you have to be a good fighter to beat OSP. But you have to be a spectacular fighter to finish OSP via knockout, and that's what uh, Jimmy Manua did. And it wasn't just uh, the finishing sequence; even before that, that body shot he landed—it was just like, oh my god! And then when he dropped in the first time, you see how OSP grabbed himself on the fence. I was like, man, OSP's got so much heart, dude. Like that was that was really badass. So he gets back up, he keeps trying to fight, and then, uh, man, that that finishing blow—you saw what happened to OSP's leg. His leg got caught under him, and I was just think—I was just thinking, man. Thank God that follow-up punch didn't land because if that would have landed, it would have been another one of those situations where he's out for five straight minutes. But you know, the ref uh, knew one to jump in, and you know, props to Jimmy Mano. That's a, that's what you call a knockout of the night, right there, Will. Uh,
1: the crowd when that when that shot landed and OSP went down, the crowd went bananas. Uh, when the, when the fight kind of started, I thought that Jimmy. I wasn't sure about his game plan trying to grapple with OSP because I thought that OSP was the clear favourite if they were going to be grappling for three straight rounds. And he kind of went back and forth to it in the first round, but you could see really towards the end of the first round that those body shots were starting to land and they were so clean that OSP wanted none of it whatsoever. And um, one of the things, I mean, I picked OSP going into that fight. I just thought he was, I think outside your... We all know who the top guys are in that division. OSP is just out there. You've got maybe Bader, uh, Gus, uh, Rumble, DC, Jones. OSP is sitting there pretty right outside there. So he beats anybody kind of down behind him. And But Jimmy Manoa through fight week was like so much emotion, um, so much confidence, I should say, was pouring from this guy. It was really hard to pick against him. Because he, he was telling everybody in the hotel, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. Just exuding confidence, and you took confidence just by looking at him, telling, saying these things. And sometimes when you speak to fighters, they have to be confident because they're going into a fist fight. So, but the way he was portraying that, it was like, oh shit, someone someone's going to be go down here. I mean, and once he started picking those body shots, and he, he got OSP where he wanted them, and that that just that that huge shot that he hit him with and he went down and I had a perfect view of when OSP went down and I was like that is a, a really brutal knockout. I never seen the flying the flying punch after it pretty much um until I came home and watched it but it was it was brutal a brutal knockout, a big win for Jimmy and it'll move him up into maybe that position where OSP's sitting right now and he'll get himself another big fight and then if he wins that fight against that guy he might be knocking on the door a title shot. So yeah.
0: Alright, I need your opinion on this. Jimmy Manua versus the winner of Ryan Bader versus Nogueira.
1: Yeah, that's that's the fight to. It it, it kind of matches up pretty well because they're fighting soon. I think it's in about five weeks or so. Uh, that is the fight to make. Um, he's not going to fight Gustafsson again. He's not going to fight Rumble again. He has to fight the winner of that one. And they put themselves. I mean, Ryan Bader. He's been joined at DC for a long time. So if DC uh, beats Rumble, then you would think that. Beta is kind of right in line for that next shot, but that's the fight to make. Manu versus Beda versus Little Nug.
0: No doubt about it. Now, the only other fight I'd be cool with, just because as a fan we have to see this, if Nikita Krylov takes care of Misha Surkinov, I mean, you got to make Manu versus krilov I mean, just because, you know, that's the kind of fight you call all your friends over and you're like, listen, man, I know you never heard of either guy, but just trust me. You're going to watch this fight and someone's <laughs> going to sleep, no matter who it is. So just as a fan, that'd be cool. But listen, man... Jimmy might be past that at this current point, because, I mean, he just slept OSB, which no one has ever done in the UFC. And look, man, if uh, Bader and uh, Noguera stay fresh, they don't come out injured to that fight, Jimmy Mano should definitely take on the winner. Now, dude, in the heavyweight division, we had the tallest man in the UFC, Stefan Struve. He took on Daniel O'Molanchuk, and, man, you know we've been waiting for Stefan Struve to use his reach and his range for so long. He finally started doing it in the Noguera fight. He knocked out Bigfoot. The Rochal fight was really close. And this fight, he went out there and uh, he continued his uh, his momentum. He tapped out Daniel with uh, with the dar choke in the second round. Was there anything that surprised you about this fight?
1: No, nothing at all. Um, just Struve's had, had all everything was in his corner. On this one, he had a full training camp. He's got a mammoth. Uh, reach advantage huge height advantage and um just experience he seems to be he's came through that tough patch in his career when he lost his dad and he had the health problems and that that tough loss to over him where he just didn't really well, he was never in that fight and so he's coming through and i i thought i made a bit of uh, strove to win by knockout or submission and it was plus money and uh, so i made money off that and i just i thought this is the perfect top, perfect opponent for Struve to get a really nice-looking win and move himself forward. Omelanchuk really had nothing nothing for Struve. He did hit Struve with a few shots early on, where I think that Stefan was just a little bit sloppy. I think he's seen in his, his uh, interview after the fight that his footwork was a little bit slow, and he was a little bit uh, slow in getting out and taking those shots, but nothing really surprised me in him finishing this fight.
0: Yeah, for me, Stefan Struve, he's still finding his groove a little bit. And I think that he still needs to take on a couple more guys, get his confidence even higher. Because look, if he takes on a top five guy right now and it doesn't go his way, who knows what that'll do for his career. So actually what I was thinking here, man, and tell me what you think about this. How about Stefan Struve versus the Nganu versus Hamilton winner?
1: See, that's the that was the fight I was calling for when, uh, who was Stefan Struve scheduled to face at two o four? Can't remember
0: Ruslan Magomedov.
1: That's the one. That was I was wanting Engano to come in for that one because I thought well, he's a European name. Uh, I know that he's just fought. He's not really. He's not injured or anything. That's the fight to throw on. being on a European kind of pay per view, and uh, but I think they they, they trained together uh, not too long ago. So that's the fight. That's a really good fight to make actually. And just going back on the Jimmy Manowa thing, I think. I think if Krylov wins, they are doing, from what I heard through the week, they are doing a London show in February or March of next year. Yet again, that's a main event or a co-main event that could take place in London. But I think Inganou versus Hamilton versus um, Stephen Struve is definitely a good fight to put together.
0: Definitely. In the featherweight division, Mirsad Bektik made his return. And, man, it's been a while since he fought, you know. Last time he competed, aside from Saturday night, was in that same card that Carlos Condit fought Tiago Alves, just to put it into perspective. And, man, you know, he recovered great from the ACL surgery. He looked better than ever. I know, uh, you know, Russell Doney's such a tough guy. I have so much respect for him. But, look, man. You know, two weeks ago, Russell Doan and I were talking about Hawaiian cuisine on uh, Half the Battle. A week later, he gets the call up away class. So we all know he wasn't in the best shape coming into this fight. But he's such a badass that he'll fight anyone, anytime, anywhere. So much respect to Russell Doan. But as far as this fight was concerned, man, I mean, Mirsad did what he wanted him to do. You know, he, uh, he took him down. He pinned him up against the fence. And when it was time to choke him out, he choked him out. I didn't really learn too much about Mirsad just because I kind of expected him to take care of biz here I bet the under two and a half it, it was just a matter of principle you know Doan going up a weight class on short notice and uh you know Mirsad being such a stud for that weight class and you know with that being said man who should he fight next
1: I think um, the funny thing is with this fight as soon as he finished Russell he came out of the cage and Joe Silva he kind of sat in the same spot the whole night when he came out through, I was had a perfect view. Jim, uh, Joe Silva ran after him with his phone in his hand. So my guess is this guy is going to get matched up very, very soon. And when I was sitting there in the crowd thinking about it, who could he fight? I don't think a fight with Russell, uh, Ricardo Lamas is out of the question. He's needing a fight. They've got cards coming up in New York and um, in Albany in December. Uh, Automatically, I was thinking, well, I hope they put Mercer beck on the Belfast card in a few weeks. Probably not going to happen. Uh, But I think Ricardo Lamas could be a great fight. This guy is projecting into that top 10. Brian Ortega is another fight. If he's healthy, Brian Ortega versus Mirsad Bektic. Um, That's a couple of guys I would like to see him in there with.
0: Dude, definitely that Ortega fight. I mean, I like the Llamas fight too, but I heard a rumor that our boy uh, Duho Choi might begin that Llamas fight at 206. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but if there is, uh, you know, I think our boy might uh, take care of business there. But man, Mirsad versus Ortega is so cool because Mirsad is known, you know, a lot of people compare him to GSP. You know, his blast double is unbelievable. So you start blast doubling a guy like Ortega and you better uh, mind your P's and Q's. They call him T-City for a reason. He might throw up one of those triangle chokes out of nowhere. I love the style clash, and I'm with you on that. Mirsad Bektik versus Brian Ortega, make that happen. Uh, you know who's the, who's the featherweight matchmaker now? Is it still uh, is it my boy Sean Shelby, or did Mick Maynard get that call?
1: Interesting to see what's going to happen with that, but I think that uh, I have a funny feeling that Mick Maynard will be doing what Sean Shelby was doing before. But that's the fight to make. If they're listening, and they should be listening, uh, they should be putting that fight together. Uh, ASAP.
0: And just, you know, on a side note, I'm so happy they got Mick Maynard. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but this is the guy that discovered Tomas Almeida and so many other great fighters. He has an incredible eye for talent, incredible uh, matchmaking skills, and, man, I can't wait to see what he does in the UFC, Will.
1: I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, the guy discovers talent, he puts good fights together, and with the the, the more talent that he has in the UFC, he's only going to do that more in the UFC, and that's going to benefit us fans in the future. 100%.
0: 100%. It's just cool to see that, you know, as a, you know, the vets, the OGs, the Joe Silvas, the Lorenzo Fertitas, as they start to, you know, transition to that next stage of their career, it's not like they're just handing it off to anyone. They're picking the right people. They want to make sure that this is still a well oiled machine and much respect because they're not letting the fans down. They never have and they never will. Now, Yuri Alcantara versus Brad Pickett, I mean, man. First of all, so much respect for both of these guys. But Yuri Alcantara, when he's on his game, I think he's one of the best fighters in the bantamweight division, dude. I mean, he's so dangerous. And he just, he looked better than he ever has, man. I mean, that spinning elbow. And, you know, before that, he was, uh, he was throwing these nice body kicks. And yeah, he's just such a badass. So he drops picket, gets on top of him. And I was like, dude, you can just pound him out right here if you want to. And he's like, you know, I'm going to go for a mounted triangle. <laughs> and then he goes for an armbar, then switches it back to the triangle and gets the tap. Flawless performance by Yuri Alcantara worthy of the 50k bonus and uh, you know much respect to Pickett, he's a warrior, he's fought everyone and uh, you know I'm not sure if uh, Pickett will be back. You know, it, not because he's going to get cut, because he absolutely won't. It's Brad Pickett. But because maybe he's he's thinking, you know, maybe this might be my last one. Because he was talking about that before the Francisco fight. But with that being said, man, I mean, you know, Yuri's so dangerous that it's, there's no shame in losing to that. And Brad could still come back and beat a couple guys in that division. You know, they were going to make that Brad Pickett versus Henry Briones fight. I still think that's a good fight for him. You know, someone that will come to stand and bang with him. But, you know, not like Yuri, who's uh, just a monster. So as far as Yuri's concerned, let's talk about him first, man. I mean... Who, who do you want to see him fight next, man? There's a lot of options in that division, you know, and his last fight prior to this, you know, he went all three with Jimmy Rivera, which, you know, there's no shame in losing to Jimmy, as you know, and Jimmy dropped him twice. I mean, excuse me, Yuri dropped Jimmy twice in that fight, man. Uh, Yuri's so dangerous that this was a showcase fight against Pickett. So who, who do you want to see Yuri fight next, man?
1: Yuri's in, kind of, he's in that tough position because you don't really see him as an elite guy in that division, so you defeat him, Maybe an Aljamain Stalin and give him uh, an up-and-comer who can maybe make a name off Yuri. And you you know Alcantara is really going to give him a tough fight as well with the, the kind of styles that they have. Um, but it's kind of tough to kind of match. That's one of the ones I'm struggling to really put a matchup together for Yuri because he, he baffles me. I, I love watching him, but sometimes he comes out and doesn't look anything like you know he can fight. And then sometimes he comes out like he did on Saturday and he completely blitzes a person and looks phenomenal in doing so. Um, if we're just going back on Brad Pickett there, from what I'm hearing, he went, London fight's going to be a perfect fight for him to go out on if he wants to go out on. But I think for Brad Pickett, there's fights out there that should be made. Uriah Faber, um, I think that's a fight that you can put together. Uh, BJ, uh, BJ could go up to 145. That's a fun fight they can make. Hope BJ doesn't come back personally but um, Alcantara looked phenomenal. He literally, I was motionless when I seen the, the transition on the ground and it, it looked like Pickett was going to get out and then he just he clasped it on it. It was a $50,000 um, bonus for sure. As soon as you seen it, that, that was it.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And you mentioned Sterling. I heard a rumor that uh, Sterling's fighting Rafael Souza at that 206 card, man. A lot of fights are being rumored for that 206 card, so I hope it's true. But I got the rankings in front of me, man. And you know, currently this is you know before the update, dude. Do they really not have Alcantara ranked, or or am I am I not seeing it here? Like, I think he he might not even be in this bantamweight ranking. That's absolutely insane. Holy shit. So you're telling me guys like Mizugaki and Wineland and Yaya and even Dodson, who hasn't beat anyone at Bantamweight, all these guys are ranked, but Yuri isn't? That's some yeah. fucking bullshit. But hey, since he's not ranked, let's give him a Mizugaki. Why not? Let's get that, uh, Let's get a top 15 spot real quick. I think he could take care of a guy like Mizugaki. If not, what about Wineland? I mean, striker versus striker, that's a lot of fun. So y- you cool with uh, Yuri versus uh, Wineland or Mizugaki?
1: 100 percent i cannot believe that he's not ranked in that division that is crazy
0: dude he's a top 10 guy clearly
1: yeah, yeah that's crazy but let's give him somebody who's in that top 15 and get him back in those rankings where he deserves to be
0: no doubt and I- i'm gonna still uh lobby for brad pickett versus henry brionis just because uh Briones is the kind of guy that's gonna give pickett the fight he wants you know he's a he's a slower brawler and uh you know pickett could look good in that fight and it could go all three rounds and be a fight-of-the-night type fight. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm thinking Pickett versus Brionis, man. What do you think?
1: The fight, the, the, I think were they supposed to fight before, maybe?
0: Yeah, yeah, the they, were, they were scheduled twice. And then I think uh, Francisco Rivera filled in for Brionis the first time.
1: Yep, that's true. Make that fight. They were, they were supposed to, to do it, so let's run it back and make them fight in um, London. That's a perfect fight for London if he wants. And then if he wins that, he can decide whether he wants to go out and win in, in his hometown if, if he has a good fight right now, so make that fight.
0: Yo, so Connor just got fined 150 k for throwing the water bottle. Now, you know, that's a lot of money, but for the $40 million, man, uh, hopefully it ain't too bad, right? <laughs> so, dude, yeah, exactly. Damian Stasiak tapped out Davy Grant with a third-round armbar. And I'll be honest, this is the one fight that, you know, I only caught glimpses of because, you know, that's the fight when the pizza man came and, you know, I had to be outside and all this stuff. So... I only caught glimpses of it. What it looked like to me was that Davey, you know, he was the, more, he was the stronger, more powerful guy. But towards the end of the rounds, he'd kind of end up in bad positions. You know, he'd, get, you know, he'd be on, on bottom towards the end of the rounds after controlling the first four minutes. And then, man, I saw the finish, and oh, my God, that was just a very deep armbar. You know, you and I were talking on the pre-fight how, you know, Stasiak's very underrated. A lot of people don't understand that his grappling is good. You take this guy down, all of a sudden, he's attacking for Uma Plata's. And, man, that armbar was, uh, was textbook.
1: It was. I mean, I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head there. Davy from when I was watching it, he was always had the he was always ahead in the fight, always ahead um in all the kinda striking exchanges and he stays out was throwing a lot of spin techniques that were nowhere near and you could telegraph and you could see them coming a mile away. He was always ahead and like you said, he put himself in such bad positions and that was the only way that stays out was gonna win this fight by getting the upper hand in those positions and um, catching a submission. When I think it was the middle of the third round, and I thought like Davy should kind of stay in his feet, and maybe just pot short, maybe clinch a little bit, and just get. He's, he's had the decision victory in his hands, uh, and then that armbar came on so quick. And although um, Davey he uh, did did his best to try and get out of that, that thing was tight, and there was no getting out of that. And it was, I mean, a sick, sick finish from Damien Stacey. I can. The guy, he's very kind of underrated, but he he could be a guy that could take out bigger names than David Grant, I think, with the with the more confidence that he's gaining. So it'll be interesting seeing what Damien Stasiak offers in 2017.
0: Tell me what you think about this matchup. I know it's a huge step up in competition, but just stylistically, what do you think about Damien Stasiak versus hani Yaya, Because it's jujitsu guy versus jujitsu guy.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, that's. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that fight, I think. For Yaya, you could build him up as a guy who, I think, stays at one, two or three in a row now, so maybe two. Um, so, I mean, he fought Matthew Lopez in Sioux Falls, who's a, a UFC debutant. Rani Yaya should never be fighting a guy like that. Um, he should be fighting guys like Stasek, who are out in the European circuit, are known as really kind of tough guys to fight, and uh, that's a good fight to put together. I mean, that would be a really good stylistic match uh, matchup, because you know it's going to go to the ground, and once it goes down there, it'll be interesting to see how it goes.
0: If they don't make that, the other suggestion I would make is uh, Damian Stasiak versus Joe Soto.
1: Yeah, good fight. Another good fight. That could be a scrap. Uh, I, I would like Stasiak in that one. I just think he's he's a little bit more kind of tougher than what maybe Joe Soto is. And he's just dogged. I mean, he keeps himself in the fight as well. So, uh, But good fights to put together, definitely.
0: So Leon Edwards upset Albert Tumenov. And man, that was unbelievable. Now... Before we talk about the fight itself, a lot of people are criticizing Albert Tumenov. Oh, what happened to Tumenov? Tumenov has been exposed, this and that. Whereas the way I look at it is, yo, props to Leon Edwards, man. He he did his thing. It's not even that Albert looked bad, because if you recall that second round, Albert was doing his thing, man. And even most of the third round, he was piecing up uh, Leon Edwards. It's just once he gave up his back, that was all she wrote. And you got that bigger man uh, you know, on your back trying to choke you out, and you're gassed out in that third round. It can be hard to defend, man. So I didn't really think it was about what Albert did wrong. I think it was about what Leon did right. And... That first round, when Leon took him down, it was like, wow, he's using his wrestling here. And Albert got back up to his feet, and then he starts piecing him up. So we were like... Man, maybe, uh, you know, I I made this tweet. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Condit versus Campman in the sense that they're both strikers, but one guy thinks he's a wrestler, and he gassed out early. That's what I thought happened to Leon. I thought he expended all his energy in that first round trying to take him down. He had nothing left in the second, and I thought, uh, you know, Tumana was just going to cruise to a nice 29-28, but boy, was I wrong. Leon finally got that takedown at the end of the third round, took his back, mata Leon, rear naked choke, and got the tab, so... Much respect to Leon Edwards. uh, Big props for getting that win. And dude, uh, where does Leon go from here? Because that, you know, Albert was the number fourteen guy going into this fight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was I couldn't believe that Leon Edwards won by submission. I really couldn't. I was really surprised in the first round when he used his wrestling because all the talk last week was that Leon Edwards struggles against grapplers. He's going to keep this one standing. He's going to use that length that he has. He was the bigger, clearly the bigger man. When, when you seen him at the weigh-ins, he was towering above Albert Tumanov. And um, I mean, Tumanov was one of the guys I met through the week, and he was actually he was pretty intimidating to meet for for a guy. He was like he was ready to go. He was after this one. I thought that I put uh, money on Tumanov to win by decision, and I was looking pretty good. Ah, after was so dead. close. Yeah, I was looking pretty good. I think I can't remember what the what the line was, in that maybe plus two sixty. I think I maybe seen it as. If I remember, I could be wrong. Um, and I was I thought once it went to the third round and Leon looked really tired and uh, got that takedown, and, and man once he got that the rear naked choke in, it was done. Uh and that was that was my really unexpected victory of the night. I did not see that one coming whatsoever. And uh, props to Leon Edwards but um I mean who do you match him up with in that division? Uh, I'm guessing he's probably gonna be around about your top fifteen to kinda of twenty maybe. He's in that region right outside, maybe. Uh, hard to tell off the top of my head now. I think, I, what have you got?
0: I got <laughs> Alan Juban versus Leon Edwards. What do you think, my man?
1: That's a good fight. Yeah, yeah, that's a That's a good fight. I like that one.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think they would scrap. And it'd be interesting to see if uh, Leon Edwards would take down Juban because, you know... Styles make fights. Now, I know a lot of people watching this are like, oh, but Tumenov knocked out Juban, so what? It doesn't matter. Every fight's different. And Leon versus Juban would be so interesting because not a lot of guys can take down Juban, and uh, he's also a slow starter. So I'm curious to see what Leon's strategy would be going in that fight, man. What what do you think about that matchup? Isn't it interesting?
1: Yeah, that's a good fight. I mean, because you would think that... um it's going to stay standing between Joban and Edwards, but I mean, Edwards uses his wrestling and we know that uh, Joban uh, uses, he's pretty good, he works out with uh, his jiu-jitsu, he works out that pretty well, he's, I think it's, it's his 10th planet, very bravo, so he's going to have some skills down in there, not that we've seen too much of it, but that's a really good fight to make, especially for like a European market, because Leon, although he's known over here in Europe, he's still fairly, fairly kind of quiet on the scene. It's another fight, if he comes out there, wins impressively. I mean, that means he's uh, two or three, I think, or maybe a third uh, fight in a row where he's won. So that's a great fight, a really good fight.
0: Tell me what you think about this. Albert Tumenov versus Matt the Immortal Brown.
1: Ooh. I was actually thinking about Leon Edwards there against Matt Brown, and I thought, yeah, but uh, that's a good fight as well. Tumenov, but w- would they give him a savage like Matt Brown? He needs a win, and he needs it badly. His confidence shot and you don't want to begin a fight with Matt Brown with your confidence, probably at an all-time low. So uh, that would be a sick fight, but maybe I don't know whether i would be wanting Matt Brown coming off two losses either.
0: No, no doubt about it. Both guys are coming off two losses. Now, it's interesting because I was thinking, look, maybe they give Albert Tumenov, you know, someone that he can knock out, get his confidence back. But then I thought, man, you know, Matt's lost four of his last five. Even though it is Matt Brown, he was competitive in most of those fights. I know the Jake Ellenberger fight happened how it happened, but the other three losses were competitive, man. So to me, uh, it'd be interesting. But let's say they don't do that and they give Albert Tumenov, you know, someone that's not in the top 15, someone that he can probably put away. You know, who, who is that guy? In the welterweight division, you know, I know uh, Ellenberger just got matched up with Masvidal, so that's out of the picture. Is there anyone else that sticks out in your mind that could be a good rebound for Tumanov?
1: Uh, Montano. <laughs> Is he still in the UFC? <laughs> give him to Albert Tumanov and let Tumanov kick him out of the UFC. Um, I, That's who I would give him to. Just bring him over here at Europe and let Tumanov just beat upon his ass. If Bilal Mohamed didn't do enough of it. Uh, and just get him out
0: of the UFC. There we go. Albert Tumenov versus Augusto Montana. I like it, man. So, Mark, h- how do you how do you pronounce this guy's last name? Uh, Keys or what? D'A- D'Akese. Mark Uh Oh, Keys. Yeah, bro. That kid's legit, man. And it's funny because he got in the worst possible spot. He could have got very early in that fight. You know, he went in there. I think he had, man, he had too much adrenaline. He tried to throw that flying knee at first, and it was Very badly timed, uh, you know, and I think it'll be better timed in his next appearance. It was just, you know, that that UFC debut, you know how it goes. Guys are never their best in their UFC debut, and that's not true. Someone's going to be like, well, what about this guy that got a seven-second knockout? I get it, man, but a lot of the times, they're not their best in their UFC debuts, and, you know, dude, uh, fuck, you know, that first round, he had to overcome some adversity. He showed me he can get up from bottom, and then, man, he put away Lukas Saevsky in that second round and made him straight-up quit. Those body shots were adding up. And uh, he put him away. I'm very impressed with him. What I want to see is uh, is Mark versus a Nick Hine.
1: Well, that's a good fight as well, especially when we're talking about European market here. Because obviously, from what I'm hearing, they're going to be concentrating pretty hard on the European market in 2017. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that Mark Diacchese can make that fight with Nick Hine uh, really interesting. It can make it exciting because Nick Hine fights for the most part, aren't really exciting. We we kind of know how it's going to go. And he's not really faced anybody with a who's really progressing. I mean, when he fought James Vick, James Vick was a guy on the up. The guys he's, he's fought, like Ty Hume Bang, are guys that I think are going down a little bit. And people, fights like Diakese versus Hein could be easily really good fights for, for Diakese just to push himself up a little bit further. But I mean, that kid's exciting. When I was... There and they were getting announced, and he was kind of jabbing with his mouth a little bit. He was talking some talking some trash. I was like, "Can I calm down?" I know you're a young fighter. You're fighting in your hometown, uh, and then he came out full throttle and just jumped at Sayeski And Saieske does what what he what he can do, and that was put you down there. But then he got back to his feet, and then sayeski stupidly kept a hold of Diakese's neck, and then Diakese threw through that guy. I'm looking. He just lifted him threw him on his head, but then once it came out the second round, you could clearly see that the two weeks notice oh. for Sayevsky had kind of taken its effect, and um just started picking and picking, and once he found an opportunity to put Sayevsky against the cage, it was done, so really talented kid, really fun kid, I've heard it, we've known about him for a long time, before he started, his, um, before he went to UFC, fought some tough guys in the regional circuit. And he kind of used a lot of his grappling. Now, his last two fights in Bama, before he came to the UFC, he, he shot two minute uh, two fights and they were finished with a minute combined combined time. So he's got that huge athleticism, huge power, very, very quick. Um, but I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to seeing this guy in the UFC and seeing where he can go. Because I think he can be a top 15 guy. And once you get to that position, then you, you need to see where you can progress and make those improvements to move into that huge, huge logjam, which is to uh, 155. So uh, I don't know who you match him with, uh, but I like I like Mark Diakese a lot. A really talented guy.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be uh, lobbying for that Nick Hine fight. And as far as Saevsky, on normal circumstances, you'd give him the walking papers, but since he did take this fight on a week short notice, I'm saying uh, Saevsky versus
1: Mitch Clark. Good fight. Very good fight to put together,
0: yeah. And, dude, Mike Perry... Platinum Perry versus Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Unbelievable fight. Just surreal fight. Now, it, it, you know, Mike Perry did win the fight, and it's not because of what Hot Chocolate did wrong at all. For me, it was Perry has intangibles that you cannot measure. I'm talking about his chin and his power. So Hot Chocolate was hitting him with everything. Clean head kicks, clean straight rights, and uh, Perry would just keep coming forward. So to beat a guy like Perry, you have to put this guy away. And, because, look, You can be landing all the volume for four minutes of the round, and then when he lands that one strike, it changes the fight. I mean, his power is just second to none, and you could see that You know, Hot Chocolate was clearly winning first three to four minutes of every round, and then he'd get cracked one time, and it would change the tide. It's not because Hot Chocolate's a chinny guy. He's not a chinny guy at all. We've seen him fight many times. It's because Perry has serious knockout power. I was comparing him to Tyron Woodley uh, in the pre-fight. And I stand by that, man. You know, he's a redneck Tyron Woodley, man. I mean, dude, like, when he cracks, he cracks, dudes. And they feel it, man. And uh, if his cardio catches up to his chin and his knockout power, this guy could be the limit for Mike Perry, man, because uh, you you have to put this guy away or somehow get him down on the ground and lay on him for three. Uh, You're not going to win a tit-for-tat fight with Mike Platinum Perry, especially at this point when his chin is where it's at, you know? I totally agree with you
1: 100%. Um, I was, like, this was the guy I was rooting for the most was Danny Roberts because I've known about the kid for a long time he's just one of the nicest guys a family guy, I mean there was a lot of support there for Danny um, coming up from London and from Liverpool where he's he's fought and he's came through in the past and he was the guy I was most looking forward to spending a bit of time with had a few minutes with him um, before, I think it was the Thursday before the weigh-ins, he was just about to get his weight cut started and he was just, we're talking about when we were all in Vegas and um, just how nice a lot of the fans were. And yourself, I was talking about how we met him, and he was just a great guy. And that was the guy I was rooting for. And I was, I must admit, I was devastated at the end of that, of that third round. And um, but, I mean, it was. I think Danny would have won that fight if it got to the decisions. I really do. But Mike, Mike Perry is legit. You need to, to put this guy out, or you're in trouble. And he's just he's one of those brawlers that he's going to stay in your face. And um, he's going to throw leather, and he's he's going to eventually he's going to catch you and, and really um, really put you down. I mean, the one thing I didn't like with this fight was that fight was done before once that knee landed. I thought Mark Goddard, and he's come out on Twitter and he's saying that he made a mistake. He let Danny take some shots in that one, and we were in the crowd and there was mumblings all around that he was too late jumping in, in that one. But uh, Mike Perry, what can you say? He's only been in the UFC a few short months, goes into Vegas, short notice, beats young Lim, comes over at the other side of the pond, beats a, a prospect in Danny Roberts. Um, really, I think the next fight, the, the fight I was thinking about, you're probably going to have to give him a name. He really hasn't fought anybody with a name. Lim, is not really, he's known, but he's not really. Charlie Preeze, he's a tough winner. Um, so give him Charlie Preeze. He wants to move up to 170. Let uh, Mike Perry dismantle that chin once and for all.
0: I like it. Why not? Man, there was a fight I wanted for Chad LaPree with a guy coming down from middleweight to welterweight, and he's moving up. I completely forget what it was. Do you remember? Marvin,
1: you? Marvin Vittori. Yeah, yeah, dude. That's a good one. Vittori versus leprie Oh, it, no, was it was it that, or was it uh, Alessio DiCherico?
0: Oh, yeah, that's what it was. DiCherico. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah versus cool LaPree. I'm cool with that. But you know what? I, I like your fight, too. But one that I would suggest... Tell me what you think about this. How about Tarek Safadine? versus Mike Perry. Now the reason that I like this fight is because look, we all know Tarek is one of the most technical strikers at 170 pounds. The area he has been criticizing in the past is his chin. And the one dude that can crack like no other is Mike Perry. So I love the Clash of Styles because I could totally see Tarek, you know, getting ahead on the points. But then Mike Perry landing that one shot that changes the entire fight. And, uh, you know, it's like when you fight a guy like Hendo, you can be, you know, winning on volume the entire time. But you make one mistake, he puts you down. So you got to be, you know, on top of your game the entire fight. You got to be fully focused. That's why I love that fight, man, because Tarek can't lose his concentration for even a second against Mike Perry.
1: I agree. That's a, I mean, if if the UFC are thinking high love Mike Perry, I don't see that as putting a bad fight to put together and maybe bring him back over here at Europe again. And um, either way, it's a kind of win-win because if Tarek wins, he kind of builds himself up a little bit and gets that win that he kind of really needs. If Mike Perry wins, then you're just going to really throw this guy further up into that division and give himself more kind of notoriety in that division. A really good fight to put together, yeah. And I mean, Perry, Perry is one of those guys... Like I was, like you said, like I said, you have to put this guy down or he will find your chin. And that's the one thing I took away that Danny, hit him with some shots, head kicks a lot. But if you don't connect clean, this guy's like the terminator and he's really hard to put away. So props to Mike Perry. Heads up to uh, Danny Roberts. I really hope he comes back. Takes some time off. I know, I think he, he's got a bad cheekbone, a bad foot, and he's kind of nursing some injuries. But uh, hopefully 2017, he comes back and gives himself... Uh, a big year for, for, for team hot chocolate
0: oh yeah hot chocolate's gonna come back for sure i got no doubt about it in my mind the guy's a total warrior he was all hard out there because you could see the shots were affecting him man i mean just that's credit to perry perry's power it doesn't matter how good your chin is that guy cracks you and it's gonna hurt man so hot chocolate mad respect he'll be back for sure now dude I heard that, uh, you know, obviously we know Ian Entwistle pulled out of the Rob Font fight the day before the weigh-ins. Now, I heard from my friends in the UK, you know, they saw him all week, you know, he was uh, talking about how he's going to break Rob Font's leg, and I even heard that a couple people saw him the day of the weigh-ins eating a big breakfast, and he was totally fine, and then uh, he decided, you know, I'd rather quit 24 hours before the fight. Oh,
1: he quit, he quit that fight, now, there's not too many times you would say that about a fighter, but... He quit that fight all week. He was fine. He was Wednesday, Thursday. He was really not that I approached him, but I was around and people were approaching him, and uh, he. I think he he's a little bit a little bit scared of getting in there with Rob Font. Maybe maybe not scared because he's been in there before and he's fought good guys. But there's just something a little bit fishy about that. The kind of way he pulled out, and um, because he seemed fine all week. I seen him late, Thursday night, and he was already in the process of making weight, all smiles. I don't know about the Friday. I I did see an ambulance outside the hotel, so maybe it could be true, but he looked great, and he was full of uh, smiles, full of talk on Thursday night during his weight cut. I'm just a little bit... uh, I was looking forward to seeing Rob Font light him up.
0: Well, bottom line, I consider it a first-round KO for Rob Font. So with that said, how about Rob Font versus uh, John Dodson?
1: Oh. Oh, that would be a good fight. That would be a good fight. Um, I think this was a, a fight for Rob Font to kind of reestablish himself out there. I mean, he fought John Lineker, and uh, nobody really wants to fight John Lineker. Let's put it that way. He's People, when you get that contract, and you it's saying that you have to maybe fight John Lineker, not too many people want that, and he went to Brazil to do it as well. Uh, that's a good fight to put together. I like it a lot.
0: And back to the hot chocolate fight just for a second. Had it not been for that crazy main event... Uh, Mike Perry and uh, Hot Chocolate would be walking away 50k richer.
1: Sure. Definitely. I thought that was my fight of the night. I really enjoyed the main event. But those guys in the fight pass, um, fight pass portion of the car, they really, Perry and Roberts really went at it and they gave the fans um, that kind of springboard. And it kind of went into, it was finishes there all the way through till the main event, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just set it up. So uh, props to those guys. Hopefully Dana and give himself a kind of little side bonus, which they're known to do, and because um, they gave a great fight.
0: Wow, good point, bro. You got nine finishes in a row, starting with the Mike Perry fight. Holy shit, that's badass. And dude, the first fight of the night, Leo Santos versus Adriano Martins, I know it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, but sometimes when you got guys that, you know, they're so evenly matched, it tends to cancel each other out, and that's what happened here. But man, Leo Santos, I thought he clearly won the fight. I know it was a split, but I thought he won uh, the first two rounds handily.
1: I agree with you in the crowd. He just—he um, was getting the better shots off, the better leg kicks, uh, the body kicks. There seemed to be a lot of respect between both guys. There was even through the fight week, the, the camps weren't close by, and there was a lot of kind of talk between them. Um, so you could tell there was a lot of respect be- between both camps. And uh, I thought I picked Adriano in that one. I don't think he, he performed to his best, but I thought Leo Santos really kind of kept him in his. Um, Strategy of just kind of keeping him at distance, hitting him with shots, and just picking that in shots and winning the rounds. And he did that pretty clearly. I think it was 29 28 eh, all over. I'm not, was that the cards? Was it 29 28? Did uh-huh. Martins get a. Yeah, that was that's what I thought in the, the crowd. I wasn't really listening to the scorecard because I thought that Santos won. Um, but I mean, he's progressing, man. You meet, Martins is a, a really tough guy to fight. He beat Kevin Lee before that. So he's pushing himself up that um, 155 pound division for sure.
0: How about Leo Santos versus Evan Dunham? It was initially supposed to happen at UFC 199. Both guys pulled out. I say make that fight again.
1: 100% agree. That's a good fight.
0: Yeah, and Adriano, I mean, he doesn't fall back too far from here. I know he was on a three-fight win streak, but, man, he took a year off, and you know maybe he was a little bit rusty. I, I don't think any less of him. It just wasn't his best night, and I know what he's capable of on his best night. So... I mean, I definitely want to see uh, Adriano get in there with someone good. I mean, is Gilbert Melendez, is that too far-fetched? I know Gilbert's ranked number 11 in the lightweight division, which, look, I, I respect Gilbert a lot, but let's be honest. When you're 1-4 in the UFC, you should not be a top 15 guy. I don't give a fuck what he did outside of the UFC. In the UFC, he's 1-4. That's not top 15 to me. But since he is number 11, let's put uh, Adriano and Gilbert in there. You think that's a good one?
1: That's not a bad fight to put together. I was thinking, I was actually just sitting here thinking, how about... Mr. James Vick against Adriano Martins.
0: I was, dude, I was actually thinking that too. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, I'm down with that too. Uh, the, the thing with Vick is uh, he's taking some time off, man, which yeah. much respect to him because a lot of these guys, they don't take the proper amount of time off. Now, at that 199 card, you know, there were a lot of knockouts. Uh, Bobby Green versus Poirier, Luke Rockhold versus uh, Bisbing. There were a lot of knockouts. And A lot of the the fighters came back too soon. You know, Bobby Green was supposed to fight Josh Berkman. He got injured, so he pulled out. But in my opinion, he was coming back too soon. Luke Rockhold's already scheduled for a main event with Jacare. Uh, These guys are coming back too soon, whereas Vic, you know, he's a smart guy. He was like, look, man, I'm going to take the rest of the year off and, you know, nurse some injuries and just take time off. Look, Robbie Lawler, he pulled out of the cowboy fight for the same reason. And uh, I think that's a smart thing to do. And I think early 2017, why not? Uh, James Vick versus uh, Adriana Martinez? I'm totally cool with that. Will, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle, brother. Uh, I'm glad you had a blast at the fights. A- anything else that went down that you want to share on the show, man? Because I, I know it must have been so cool, just you know, that, that fight week environment. All the UK fans are unbelievable. You guys had to stay up you know, at a very uh, – you guys had to show up there at, what, 3, 4 a.m., and it just shows the dedication, the passion of the fans of the UK. So, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about, man? Because you were there, brother.
1: No, just just how much – I wish um, – I just pretty much wish I could go to every UFC card, probably <laughs> go on the card. I, I really do. I love being around Fight Week and just the – but then it culminates in fights at the end of it, and then you're meeting up with people you know who are true fans, and you can sit there for hours talking to these people. Um, just, I'm kind of lucky because I'm going to Belfast in about five weeks for, for Gunnar versus um, Dongyong Kem, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Turutu Shahara just knock the chin off Artem Labov. So, yeah, I mean, just a great, great week. I just wish I could do it all the time. Um but maybe in the future that might, might happen where I, I need to win some money, win some bets, and just start going to these events full-time, win the lotto or something.
0: It's, oh, yeah, man. Listen, if I win the lotto, I'm giving you one mil just because you're my boy. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? But, dude, real quick, all right, you brought up Dong Young Kim versus um, versus the, uh, versus uh, Gunnar Nelson. I was about to say Dong Young Kim versus the stun gun. But uh, <laughs> Gunnar Nelson versus the stun gun. I mean, dude, you see that one going the distance? Because I played the under two and a half at plus 150. I, I think someone might get knocked out here.
1: Yeah, I, I see that. I like, um, like Gunning in that one. I think they will bring him over um, to get a, a, not, a notable win there. I mean, I think Don Young kemis is still, what, top 10 maybe in that division? Good right question. About, I'm
0: about to tell you. Um, he is number 10. Exactly.
1: That's a perfect fight for, for Gunnar Nilsson. They bring him over to Europe. Everything's on his side there. He's in Ireland. I know we're in um, the North Island instead of the South, where he usually trains at SBG. It's not that far. You're going to get loads of people coming up from Ireland. Iceland's not far away and um, so that's a really good fight for Gunnar. I like it. that two and a half sounds really really nice and uh, I'll need to have a little bit of a look at that one, but um, that's a good bet to put together for that
0: and dude, before we get out of here You know we got a month without UFC, but on the next card Ferguson's fighting RDA Benny is fighting a Rashid now real quick man I want to know your take on Benny versus Rashid because that's such a good fight And Rashid's an unbelievable fighter, obviously. But it's been, you know, when he steps inside the octagon on November 5th, it'll be two two days short of a year off since the last time we saw him compete. And uh, with Benny, obviously, he's coming off the win over Vic, which he looked better than he ever had. And, uh, look, I I think Rashid's an amazing fighter, but everyone has to take that first UFC L. No one is exempt from it. And Benny at plus 160, which he was a couple days back when I played it, even though Rashid's amazing, I, I feel obligated to take that shot on a matter of principle.
1: Benil, a 160 underdog in this one.
0: Yeah, it, it got moved down to forty-five, one 145, but it was 160 for like three weeks straight.
1: We haven't got the lines over here for that fight yet, but that's crazy. If I, if I can get, I mean, if it's 145 now, if I can get 140, 150, I'll be on that as well because I think the style matchup, everything just kind of benefits um Benil a little bit, he's got that experience of the big fights, he's been in there with uh, guys um around that top 15, I mean in the top 15 Ks and stuff So Michael Johnson uh, yeah Michael Johnson, I mean that's that's a really I think that's a good fight for Benil Darius I, I haven't really looked into too much tape on them yet, it's actually quite nice to have a little break because we had a run of like two months solid, now I know we'd like fights every weekend but a little break here and there is not too bad but um no, I like I like in that one early on. Anyway, I have to do a little bit of tape study, but good, good fight. And just for the people out there that are listening, this is how sharp, Dan is. Dan told me last week Tony Ferguson, Rafael dos Anjos under 3.5 rounds is plus money. Uh what what is it? Plus one. One Now, if you people are listening to this, go out there and put it on right now because as soon as that line becomes available for me. I'll be throwing on that. So, uh, yeah... Looking forward to those two fights on that card, especially. Man,
0: and, you know, it's funny because, in my opinion, it should have been set at 1.5. So when you see a 3.5, mm-hmm. it's not 2.5. It's 3.5 for these two killers. And it's in Mexico yeah. with the altitude. And speaking of the altitude, that's a big factor for the Benny fight, too, because we have seen Benny kind of gas in the past. But he does come from King's MMA. We know Fabricio Werdum mm-hmm. went to Mexico way in advance before his fight with Kane. That camp is very aware of of the elevation in Mexico. So I'm curious uh, what he's doing uh, prior to the fight to get ready for that, Will.
1: I'm, I'm with you there as well. I think um, with Verdum being in his camp, I think Verdum has to tell him, look, go out to Mexico a few weeks early, get your body acclimatized to that massive change coming from, from uh, California to to their Mexico City. Um, I think he's got the right guys in his corner to be telling him those things. They've had experience of it. Um, it's whether maybe Tony Ferguson does the same because... I don't see Tony going out there a few weeks early. I can see Benil going out there. I think that Tony's got kids in that as well now. Uh, now as well, so going out there two weeks early—that's a lot to take away. Where Benny hasn't got any of those distractions, he should be out there a couple of weeks early and getting ready for that fight uh, in Mexico City.
0: Definitely, well, Will. Thanks again for the time, brother. Let the audience know about where to follow you: your YouTube videos, your Twitter, and anything else you want to plug, man.
1: Um, you can find me at Will Martin MMA. I'm always there for talking um, talking about the great sport that we all love. You can, I will post, uh, post my uh, pics for every UFC event to go to my YouTube and you can just see me randomly talk about fights. And uh, just leave your questions, your answer uh, questions, your comments below, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And the one last thing I'm going to say is yesterday I forgot to say happy birthday, and <laughs> i seen you blasting dudes on Twitter today like fuck you and everything, so, and yesterday I was off the planet. So happy birthday for yesterday, belated birthday Andy, as always, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy talking fights with you, brother.
0: Oh, you got it, man. Certain people get a pass, such as my friends that go to (laughs) UFC events at 5 in the morning. So, you know, I'm sure that was the last thing on your mind. I appreciate it, brother. Always good to talk to you. All the fans, you have to check out Will's videos and on Twitter. I mean... You just just do it. Do it for uh, the greater good. <laughs> now, for everyone else, you know, follow me on Twitter at BestFightPicks, BestFightPicks.com for my plays. And this podcast, half the battle is on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.